0: It's really difficult to this day to describe this verbally, this experience, because it was so beyond, it transcends language, it's not something that I can just, you know, speak about, but the sense was that, the felt sense was that I no longer existed, and yet here I was, and that I was part of everything, and that everything was part of me.
1: You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Danforth. Hannah Lee Jones is a poet and a nomad whose adventures have taken her all over the desert southwest in search of Jack Kerouac's timeless, dear love of everything. Born in Camden, New Jersey, to parents who are Korean immigrants, she worked in marketing and outreach for higher education and nonprofits before setting out on the road. Her book of poems, When I Was the Wind, explores the challenges and lessons of that journey and has won the Eric Hoffer Award, the first Horizon Award for Outstanding Debut Books, taken Gold Honors in the Nautilus Book Awards, and Ippi Awards Bronze Medalist. She also runs Primal School, a coaching resource devoted to literature and ideas, encouraging people to lead lives of greater courage using innate wisdom from within. Her writing has been published in numerous journals and social media outlets, and she joins us from Silver City, New Mexico.
0: Thank you so much, Justin, for having me. It's great to be here with you.
1: Now, we talk a lot offline about all sorts of different topics, from the future to technology to writing to art, creativity. How do you keep your sanity with all of these endeavors that you're involved with?
0: I do find it very challenging in times like now when there's so much happening in the world, right? with all of the the chaos that we're experiencing, the crises, um, both in terms of our our collective energy, our mental health challenges, um, climate change, if you believe in that, the fires around the world, the one that recently happened in Maui, which um, really hit me at a personal level. And and through these kind of convulsions, right, that we're experiencing in the collective as well as individually, um, I find that for me, showing up with presence um, has really been presence as a P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Yeah. And that, that that full sense of bringing your whole self to this moment right here, right now has been the ultimate tool in helping me to navigate the things that show up in my life. And And I think that when we are in difficult relationships or dealing with stressful jobs or I'm confronting any number of, of challenges um, ultimately I think the the ultimate resource that we have is our breath our bodies and our and our trust in ourselves and and so I think it's come down to just being here now and Eckhart Tolle um, the author who wrote be here now <laughs> spoke about this eloquently in his book and uh, it really changed my life and I think um, it's become my mantra.
1: You know, one of these things that I see pop up in your work is control, you know, its role in our lives, the way we cling to it, the way we use it over others, and how this illusion of control kind of usurps everything from society to our sense of happiness, um, you know, but for creative people, sometimes we we need that control, right? When you were in this situation, this this, you know, this life blow up, you kind of had to give up control. And that decision was kind of like made for you. Why don't we kind of set the, set the stage there and let the audience know where you're coming from, your origin story?
0: Sure. Yeah, that's big. Um, this theme of control, I, I love that you bring it up because I come from a household where there was so much control. And that was the dominant um, energy. It was the, it was the paradigm that shaped my early childhood and therefore my, how I showed up to the world in my 20s and 30s as I was coming of age, finding my way in the world, um, getting married, starting a career. And I think that so many of us are adapted to this way of being that I, is, is ultimately about um, efforting and about, about exerting control over the things in our lives that we want to manifest uh, we work towards an end result. Um, we're taught to achieve, to make good grades in school, to please our parents, to not make waves. And and so coming up under uh, a parent who was, um, I think it's difficult to say this, you know, uh, on the air, but it, it simply is true. My experience of my my single parent, my mother, um, with whom I came up um, uh, was abusive, and um, and so there was so much control, and and in receiving and being victimized by that uh, level of control uh, that pervaded my early childhood experience, um, I then became a controlling individual myself, and um, and when I had my my crisis in my late thirties, that then led to me taking this journey, and then ultimately writing this book of poems. I think I had to relinquish that control, the control that I had been taught, and that had become such a part of the way I show up. And um, and, to, and to, to step into a full release of that control, I had to learn the art of surrender, um, which really ties in with what I said at the beginning of this interview, which is about the the art of presencing oneself, of being here now, and and accepting the things that are happening to us, um, and acting Within a certain framework of uh, acceptance, you know, we have to look at what's happening. While also, also we're, uh, um, we're accepting what's happening at the same time that we are making choices, right? Um, we, it's, that's, that's different than control. I think it's intention. I think it's showing up with the skills that we have and with mindfulness and with responsiveness and adaptability. Um, which is different than control and it's a skill that we're not born with. I, I believe that we learn it as we as we come of age and as we um, as we also meet the challenges and crises that life inevitably throws at us and we cultivate uh, an ability to to release control while we are also dancing with the things that life hands us. So um, there is a theme that I'm very interested in, which is the theme of warriorship. Um, and I've been reading about it quite a bit in my explorations of Taoism, which is a philosophy and a way of life that really changed my life, um, that has helped me to, to hold this beautiful kind of skill of, of embracing paradox, where invariably in life there are many things that can be true at the same time. Um, we can be uh, in crisis, but also still in control. We can come up under an abusive parent in a, in a home full of chaos and still still be empowered and lovable right and and so um, someone can love us and still be mean to us right <laughs> we can hurt others and still care about them yeah so these are just a few examples um, of the ways that we um, we don't have to we don't have to go into that black and whiteness of control says you know it, it's either going to be this way or that right whereas releasing it helps us to embrace the totality of the experiences that life gives us. So I think that if there's any one thing that I learned from um, this this crisis that occurred in my late 30s, which was that my, my husband and I, we were happily married, and we were cruising along, and things were seemingly going well on the surface. Um, and then sometimes, and I think anyone who has had... Um, A midlife crisis (laughs) has had the experience of um, being um, rocked by a mystery, you know, not even really knowing what exactly is causing this convulsion, this crisis, these things that happen. Um, um, Maybe someone has an affair, which is kind of what happened in my marriage. You know, there was infidelity um, and a sense of discontent, a, a deep sense that something was not going right. And that something needed to change. Um, and in that was a relinquishing of the control.
1: We tend to talk about themes on the show that are rather scary, mm-hmm. but stepping out of your comfort zone is perhaps the scariest thing of all. And you did that right after this situation took place. You went out to the desert and you lived out there for several years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't just a comfortable environment in the desert, you lived out of your, your van in the desert, right?
0: That's right. It was a, a 2007 Toyota Sierra, which I'm still driving <laughs> to this day and it's got a lot of miles on it. Uh, and I also bought this um, tiny house that had a little wooden tiny house, 11 by five tiny house that I, that became my office and my little writing studio, no plumbing. Um, my kitchen was a table basically and a bunch of water jugs, and um, and I I started off in Moab, Utah, which is one of the harshest environments in uh, the lower forty-eight. It's an uh, extremely barren uh, but beautiful desert that uh, is known for its gorgeous, gorgeous red rock canyons, as well as intense uh, windstorms and sandstorms. And to go out into that from living in the Pacific Northwest, where uh, which is a country filled with lakes and, and the sea and, and with um, evergreen forests, um, all of this gentle, very mild, temperate weather to, to the desert, um, which is so barren, right, um, was, a, was a big leap. And it's, it's one that was inspired by a visit um, that I took, and I just fell in love with this landscape that was cooking me alive and was so difficult to be in, and yet somehow... And again, here's the paradox, right? I was drawn to it, and I, I knew that I had to be there. So um, so the choice to be there, when I look back on it, um, I think we live in, in a very comfortable society where um, we not only are have AC, right, and, um, and we have the warmth of heating in the winter, you know, all these technologies that have, have in some ways insulated us and sterilized us, you know, to life, um, at a level that is very bodily, but also psychic. We, um, we consume so much media, right. Um, and become, and the, the phrase is really Pink Floyd, you know, comfortably numb to, to life, which is gritty. It's uncomfortable. It, it deals us things that we don't want sometimes. Um, and there's, it's more metaphoric where it's not just about physical discomfort, but I think emotional discomfort too. And I think when I took that journey and I went into the desert and started living this way, what I didn't know at the time was that I was seeking to release myself from not only physical comfort, but emotional comfort where I had only embraced all that was predictable and Therefore, boring in my life, right? <laughs> I mean, you cease to grow at a certain point when things become so comfortable that there's no growing to be done, no challenges to be had, right? There are no fights. There are no. There's nothing. There's no friction um, to be able to usher you into um, the next phase of your life where you are starting to see dimensions of yourself that that you didn't know existed. How could you? How could you see that without? Having something hit you, right, and knowing what you're capable of. So, so for me, it was a physical test, but but it was also very much a spiritual one. And Hmm. I'm glad I did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, and I think people hearing that will also kind of be encouraged. I mean, they may not go right out to the harshest climate on earth, but um, you know, still the the concept, the idea behind it of just you know getting us. Away from the comfort zones uh, that we kind of construct in our lives that kind of prevent us from growing, from maturing, from learning. And you learned a lot out there. I mean, you were documenting this journey as you were going through it on your Instagram. And that's how we first connected, which I thought was absolutely incredible. The stuff that you were revealing and sharing, it was encouraging.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so blessed to connect with you because um, there's a dimension uh, to that story that I was sharing that 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 drew people like you into my life, and uh, this is a blessing gift of social media for all the for all the things that we don't love about social media, <laughs> we also encounter people who are incredible and who resonate with um, the things that we care about, right? And and in my case, it was there's a life of authenticity in which we are not lying to ourselves about what we want, who we are, what our wounds are, what our shadows are, what we struggle with. Right. Um, again, moving away from that, that overly uh, sanitized way of, of being in our lives that, um, is about for, it's a certain level of perfectionism, right. Where we will, we, we, we curate and we, um, we even fabricate a certain image of ourselves online sometimes, right? And um, I loved that I could kind of let everything hang out <laughs> in my storytelling. Oh, you know, I posted about my roof blowing off one awesome. Christmas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I was driving down the highway and I forgot to latch it down because it was one of those roofs that opened up, and and I was going at fifty on the highway, and and the wind took it and deposit it on the highway and took my solar panel with it right and oh my gosh and to not have um, a source of shelter that Christmas was was um really difficult right and I thought I could share that and share what I was learning about myself about about handling myself when difficult things like that happen how to stay positive how to how do we survive, right? And in that not just in that physical sense, but how do we take care of ourselves in in tough times, right? How do we rely on each other? Um, because so much help came to me during that time. I learned how to receive love in ways that I had never known as a child. So, the the blessing in the in the crisis, right? Um, the gift in the wound, so to speak. So so there was so much there, and I, I'm glad that you and I crossed paths in this life because. I know that you are someone who has been on that path as well, um, connecting with people who of all walks who are um, deeply in that place of searching and um, the mystery as well. Right? It's the wider field. Um, how do we how do we exist in not just in this world with each other, but in the universe? <laughs> so, so um, that's a theme that you're interested in. I know you're really passionate about, and I I deeply care about that as well. And I'm glad that yeah our paths crossed.
1: Yeah. You know, everything, I know it's cliche, but everything happens for a reason, uh, for sure. But it kind of brings up questions of, you know, is there such a thing as destiny or Mm -hmm. paths that are already created for us? You know, how do we choose our destiny? Um, how do we know that we aren't guided along by some sort of higher power or higher being, you know, is there something beyond this, an unseen realm? even though we can't quite grasp it or understand it, have you seen glimpses of it that could uh, indicate its existence?
0: A hundred percent. I do not consider myself to be someone who is, uh, I I came up in a religious family, right? And uh, was deeply indoctrinated in the Christian church. So I moved away from that in my twenties and thirties and eventually considered myself to be one of those cliche people who call themselves spiritual instead of religious. Right, 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 yep. <laughs> and then, and then, um, you know, I didn't even really understand the full import of what that meant until I started to then explore, um, my, my healing from the trauma that I experienced as a child. Um, and as part of that healing, I started to take plant medicine. And, uh, when I began that process, um, in Moab, I, I was ushered into this powerful sense that, that this world that we can see with our five senses is not all there is. (laughs) And, and that, that when we come alive to this world with our five senses though, and we amplify um, our relationship with it, we become a little bit more porous um, under um, the effects of, of these um, medicines that um, you can call them psychedelics and theogens, right? Um, We we start to expand and and see that we have see that the world is bigger, but we also see how beautiful it is. Um, And then we we begin to access maybe a a sense of our relational power, right? And and the and there's a witnessing voice that comes forward that feels to be of you, but is also not you. And when that happens um, you realize God is, is, is beyond anything that, that can be written about even in the most beautiful poetry, right? <laughs> like we can, um, we can experience God and that, that is the ultimate, um, sense of God that I have been able to access, um, in my, in my experiences, not just on this medicine, right. That i started to take, which was, uh, mostly psilocybin, but, but it was, um, it was also just by being in this wild environment of the desert, um, where I began to have these encounters with the what. What David Abrams, who's a, a, an amazing writer, he calls it the more than human world, and that the more than human world can consist of wild animals, the raven who ate my oatmeal one morning, <laughs> you know, and and that that sense of being able to relate to that also takes us into. Um, it's a connectedness and that that feels to be um, none other than an experience of God. Um, But we lose that again, right. When we were, uh, when we're protected when we're guarded when we, when we shield ourselves from, from um, nature, wild nature. And, um, and so if, if I, if ever I can speak of uh, divinity as something that I have experienced, it's been in those wild places. Because we are indistinguishable from nature, we are nature, and um, but we have to remember that by going out into her, right, and experiencing that. So,
1: hmm. so going back to plant medicines, because I know that there's a lot of negative stigma associated mm-hmm. with them. Um, the first one being, well, okay, this is all beautiful and 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 such that you've had these divine experiences, but how do you separate fact from fiction, aka reality, from hallucinations?
0: For sure. I think that my answer always to um, anyone who is skeptical about the power of these medicines to heal us is to trust in your own experience. Because if anyone has taken these medicines and, and you know, whatever it is, LSD, um, ayahuasca, it, it could be peyote, but and people are on a search. There is a powerful sense that people are on a search for meaning (laughs) and, and that sometimes they end up trying these medicines as a way to access that meaning because life has become so meaningless that they have to do something drastic to enter it. But my answer has always been, what is your experience and can you trust it? Can you trust in the veracity and the power uh, of your experience to tell you what is true? And, and, and and then you can you can immerse yourself in all of these facts and these data and the things that people are publishing in these scientific articles and what have you, but but ultimately um, I think what we can trust is, is the factuality of our own experience and and what I can say is that my own experience has shown me that life is big and that's all I need right yeah and and that is um, hmm, at the core of religions too. Um, when the trouble I have is when anyone who believes something so strongly goes around uh, trying to, sh- to basically proselytize, right? And I did that even with medicine for a time when I, when I felt so powerfully that this was the thing that was going to save so many people, right? <laughs> and because it had helped me so much. But that wasn't my job. It's no one's job. Um, our job is to, to have our own healing process and choose what works for us and to trust in that.
1: One of the fears, I guess, that that people have, you know, with plant medicines is the bad trip. Right. And I know you had mentioned that at some points in our conversations that, um, you know, ceremony and intent is vital to that, right? Surrounding yourself with the right people and the right environment is crucial. Correct. Yeah. What's the the good protocol with that? I mean, do do you need to be in a correct state of mind before you you go down this road or-
0: I think I, I want to reference the, this great documentary that exists on YouTube. It, it, it's actually, uh, it was recorded by Joe Rogan, of all people. And, and, but he, um, he, he, it was a movie called, uh, it's like 45 minutes long, and it's called DMT, um, uh, The God Molecule. I think it's The God Molecule. Um, and in it, he speaks about, um, as what, he interviews all these people who are, um, who are experts in the, in the field of entheogens and, um, and, and what, what, what comes from that is that, um, I forget it was, I forget who it was that said this, but set and setting is extremely important. And that's just true, whether you're doing, um, a, a clinical study or, you know, and injecting people with DMT or, um or having a, just an experience on your own, um, that, that you need to be in a place that feels safe to you because, because, uh, we are creatures of feeling and, and, and I, I believe this in my core is that plants, because they are of nature and they're therefore of us, like I said before, um, they are, they have a certain reactivity to us. Um, they're intelligent and they respond to us. And so we are taking something that is responding to, to what is in the field, right? Um, and this is getting out there into some woo-woo stuff, but I really believe this because there was one time when I, recently, actually with my partner, that I, I tried to take some mushrooms, and uh, we had recently had a bit of an argument, and um, it was my birthday, and and we were sitting by the fire, and we were we were taking this medicine, and it was a low dose, maybe like a couple grams, uh, which is maybe not a super low dose, but you know it's enough that. You, you should start feeling the effects maybe within 20 minutes to a half hour after you take mushrooms and uh, and then I we were sitting and and kind of looking at each other being like do you feel anything? nope I'm not feeling anything <laughs> and it was hilarious because um, every time I've taken it before it there has been potency and, and the medicine has worked uh, it has given me that that experience but but the what had happened was, and I believe, believe, believe this was that I was angry, right? Emotionally, I was not in a space to be able to receive the healing that was to come from this medicine. So, so the medicine, if we can call her a goddess, she was like, "Nope, yeah, I'm, today's not the day for you. Why don't you come back and try another time, right?" So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I can go at great length about mm, environment and how important it is that you be with people who feel safe to you people that you preferably love um personally i i really appreciate taking it by myself because um i have come to trust myself with the medicine and and i see it as in some ways um it's not unlike lutheranism where the the teaching is you have a direct path to God. <laughs> there should be no intermediary, no priest to, to to be able to administer the sacrament, you know, who's going to tell you whether or not you're saved. It's just you and God. And I really believe that to be true uh, with these medicines. Um, that has been how I've made it work for me and, uh, and where I've received the greatest benefit in terms of being able to access that healing that I've needed. Now, that being said, I've done uh, medicine and ceremonies with um, teach teachers who um, have flown up from Peru um, have held ceremonies outside of Santa Fe with the Native American Church, and uh, those experiences have been profound and life-transforming. Um, and there is something about that community as well that can be incredibly powerful, especially when you're sitting around a fire singing songs. So,
1: whenever we have conversations and you say something interesting, I usually write it down. I do that with everybody, right?
0: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> It helps a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah. If I don't write it down, I usually forget it. But I have in my notes, at one point, I think you mentioned that at certain levels of hallucinogenics, you can witness your own death. Is that true?
0: I do not. I do not have that empirical experience of being able to, to see that. Um, In a great interview with uh, what was his name? The man who wrote uh, "The Botany of Desire," Michael Pollan, he gave an interview um, where he he spoke about what, seeing his own death while taking a, a, what they call a, <laughs> a shamanic or um, heroic dose of of mushrooms, um, and and he he said that uh, I forget how he described it, but he he he, he was in the bathroom and he ex- he saw his physical body explode into a thousand post-it notes. <laughs>
1: oh my
0: gosh and and the way he said it was <clears throat> and then i ha- I felt zero alarm at this occurrence. I watched myself die <laughs> and and there was no no alarm whatsoever that he felt at this uh, watching himself uh turn into this uh, into a thousand post-it notes and and so the the fact of one's death um being something that is just simply is right that he felt no uh dismay or distress or um that this is just. Part of life, right? Um, it, it was cool to hear about. Uh, I have never reached that level myself, <laughs> probably because I have not taken a dose that high. Um, I, I have the new frontier for me has been um, the DMT, where I have friends who have taken it and have had, um, yeah, have had the the those um, truly psych, psychically um, uh, God encountering. Death witnessing experiences, um, and and it is kind of they call it the Mount Everest of psychedelics, and I think I fear I fear going there just yet because some part of me is deeply not ready, and so I'm giving myself that time. But but I have had the experience on higher doses of, of psilocybin of of feeling very alone in the world, um, being in a space with maybe six or seven other people, and then watching them vanish and then freaking out because where did everybody go (laughs) am i have i crossed over into hell right um and i have someday i'll write about this experience in a memoir but um that my publish publisher um, is encouraging me to write and but but that was uh probably the closest i've come to really feeling that sense of existential dread um that sometimes accompanies um the moment before death right but um, it is a door that so many people enter every day, thousands of us, right? That really, it must not be all that bad.
1: Experiences with beans I know that y- people hear about that a lot, is that they will see these entities emerge while using plant medicines. Have you ever experienced that?
0: I'm scanning right now to to see whether I've had such encounters and I... I do not recall having anything that has really put me in contact with supernatural beings, like beings that you would say are not of this realm. So, so I, have encountered, um, I have encountered all kinds of beings who have come into my fields, um, including an antelope that I once wandered with for 20 minutes. But um, it's often during ayahuasca ceremonies that people report these kind of encounters with almost alien-like creatures, um, a lot of reports of serpentine creatures or tigers um, coming in and with messages for them. I have never had such experiences myself. Um, I'm almost envious because, <laughs> because I, I do believe that when we have um, we have those experiences, those are those are um, they seem summoned like a summoning of sorts where uh, we are being called to some sort of contact with. Uh, with the wider field, they and and Graham Hancock, um, the author, he has written about this in his book Supernatural, where um, he's interviewed you know probably hundreds of people who have taken medicines and 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 kind of explored some of the themes and the the commonalities between um, people's narratives about their experiences on medicine and. Um, and there are themes, right? There are themes and there is continuity and there is a sense of we're, we're not all there is Um, the movie contact, right? If, if it's just us out here, then it's an awful waste of space. And, and I don't think I have to even really have an empirical, you know, actual personal experience with, with such things to believe that I don't believe that, that we are all there is. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That there is more. And, um, but perhaps the day will come and, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating to to listen to your interviews with some of these folks, um, who, who have had contact with, um, with, with those beings, um, that come, come in and maybe seem to be asking something of us. Um, yeah. So,
1: well, can you, can you unlock your mind without the use of plant medicines or any type of, you know, aid of that nature?
0: Well, so in in my in my healing work, um, I have had the benefit of talking to some amazing friends who have who have directed me towards modalities that um, that have a similar impact on the brain um, as psychedelics, so without the use of medicine. And one of those modalities is holotropic breathwork, um, and and because I haven't, I've never actually done it. Um, with the help of a guide, because oftentimes it's recommended that you sit with somebody who's going to monitor you while you do um, circular breathing, where you are uh, basically not pausing between a deep inhale and your exhale. You are breathing, you are inhaling deeply, and then you're exhaling, and you're doing that rapidly and repeatedly until you drop into um, into that state where your brain waves shift, and you then start to have. Um, something akin to a psychedelic journey, and those breathwork journeys are incredibly powerful. They are also administered online sometimes by certain people. Um, in fact, there's a fellow named Michael—I forget his last name. Michael—Michael um, Michael is his first name. He's in L- Los Angeles, but his website is Breathwork Online. And I've been able to do a few sessions with with him and his community of um, breathers around the world. Um, and I know that people have really greatly benefited from the work that he's been sharing around um, this kind of accessible breath work that people can do online by coming together um, in these online sessions where on Zoom where people can breathe together. Um, and that, that, can be, that can be really energetically powerful because you know that all these other people around the world are breathing together, right? And <laughs> yeah, um, and people report all kinds of different things um, that happen. Uh,
1: from, wow! From, I've never heard about this.
0: Yeah, you can check it out. Um, everything from repressed memories coming up, um, being able to cry, just mourn and grieve past trauma, um, being catapulted out into the vastness of the universe and seeing things—it's um, it, it. It can vary. Uh, for me, none of the none of that has actually happened. It's just more this kind of euphoric sense of um a better and more intimate relationship that feels safe with difficult emotions, whether that's anger or um, grief about my past, um, there's a shift that could, that happens internally. And so, um, I think that people sometimes have a certain idea of how mm, medicine is supposed to look, how how it's supposed to work, <laughs> But somehow if they haven't had a, a, a huge, cathartic experience in which they have healed all of their trauma or encountered um, a, a deceased loved one or had something really incredible breakthrough happen that, that the medicine's somehow not working and I really disagree with that. I think that the medicine will give you what it wants to give you and, um, and that that the key is, is trust in yourself and your experience and just like I was saying and then and then also letting go of how it's supposed to look, um, having your own trust around it. Um, that you're having the experience that you're meant to have.
1: Going back to the desert, because you brought up an experience that I I find very interesting, the antelope. You were wandering with an antelope for like 20 minutes, you said?
0: Yes, sir. <laughs> and it was powerful. Um, I it was, it was my first time taking medicine. So I was uh, outside of uh, Moab um, in these grassy, I guess you could call it, yeah, just these grasslands that uh, north of Moab that that go for miles. And uh, I was camped there because we were at the time of year when there are so many people who tear up the land in their ORVs. Uh, nothing against people who enjoy off-roading, but it's not one of my things. And, and the noise can be very uh, awful. Yeah, so I, I really was kind of out there and camped uh, alone and still had a uh, cell signal to be able to call. Um, my person who i told her i would be taking medicine and that i would be doing it for these hours and and that i would be doing it alone and she's like oh, okay sure uh if you're gonna go do that just let me know <laughs> you know no I'll, I'll look in on you after so um so i wandered i went on this wander um uh after taking um a dose of i think it was like three grams so um and and i went um i just wandered Not too far, you know, feeling like if I couldn't find my way back because it was it was evening and I knew that the sun would eventually, um, you know, that the sun would set and that I would need to make my way back. So but I did trust myself enough to know that my motor skills would be fine, even though I I started walking very slowly. And there's almost like you get cold um, on psilocybin and you you do have to be careful about how you're moving, uh, because because you do slow down, and I was trudging along, and and having a, a moment of grief where I was kind of thinking about some of the things that had happened in my childhood, and and uh, and then I was I was sitting with those feelings when um, this this one in, you know this one being shows up right, um, glorious antelope, also known as pronghorn. Um, and they're glorious. They're just beautiful creatures. Because when you when you're walking behind them, and you're or you're seeing them run, right? Um, they have these rumps that almost look like <laughs> designed by nature to be targets. Because they they got these huge white uh, rumps that that seem to flash. And and I I was walking behind this this pronghorn for um, maybe a couple of miles, and and it 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 would run for. It would run ahead, and then it would, it would stop, and then it, it would, it would look at me, and I almost felt like Kevin Costner's character in Run with, the, um, not Run with the Wolves,
1: Dancing with Wolves, <laughs>
0: Dancing with Wolves, yeah, with wolves, yep. <laughs> where, where you know he meets the wolf, and the wolf won't leave him alone, right, because he, he, he has a connection with this one who feels is particularly drawn to him, and that was the felt sense that I got from this creature that, um, that, that seemed to know that that i was not only was aware of my existence but but seemed to be um dialoguing with me on some level right and maybe that's anthropomorphizing but but it did um, there was a conversation there was a sense that you know every every few i would, maybe it was like a couple hundred feet right i would follow it and it would stop and then look at me again and then until eventually i lost it and it was gone right so and, and in that, there was a gift, a sense that I had been given something to hang on to um, that would anchor this experience. But moreover, um, that nature is us and loves us and that, that we are in relationship always with it, right? E- even if we don't quite know what is going on, because the language is not... We're not using. It's the language is not a language of the mind, it's one of the body and of the heart, right?
1: Being out there, in the middle of nowhere, you probably witnessed some incredible things firsthand, like some incredible sides of nature. Tell us a little bit about that, because obviously, us in the suburbs and the cities, we don't experience that. I mean, that must have been some beautiful moments in, in your life, right?
0: Truly, yeah, yeah. I think one particularly memorable experience was when I was, uh, hiking alone in, um, capital, it was a Capitol reef national park, uh, in Utah. So one of the lesser-known national parks, and that was the particular draw. I went there because <laughs> it was, um, quieter, you know? Oh no, it wasn't, um, it actually, excuse me. It was not Capitol reef. It was Colorado national monument. I'm remembering now. And I was on this hike alone and then, you know, maybe it was about six miles and, um, the sun had set. So I was kind of scurrying back to the car uh, and it was not, I was not far from the trailhead, perhaps maybe like a mile, you know, and I, I was, I, I rounded this kind of, you know, area that was like uh it was, it was a cliffy area that, um, that terminated, you know, um, at the bottom of these steps that I was going to then scale to get to my car. And, um and I, I rounded this cliff, cliff cliffy bend to, you know, start going up the steps, and and I was stopped in my tracks by the sight of um, a huge band of bighorn sheep, and whoa. they were as startled to see me as I was as as I was shocked to see them. And they gave me this like deer in the headlights, like whoa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we did not see you coming. So they were shocked, and I was shocked, and I and I stood there and I just kind of, you know, was was so in awe of these. Beautiful creatures, and and they they looked at me, you know, with their horns and yeah, you know, curvy horns, and um, and maybe there were a couple younger, you know, juvenileish um, bighorn sheep in this in this group, and um, and the the leader, the one who was you know who had been walking ahead, um, after maybe some moments, um, finally decided to cross the path in front of me, and I, I was able to get video of these guys crossing over into um, this, this field that, um, was just, and, and to see that at the, at the point, the hour in the day, that's so luminous where the sun has gone down. It's everything's glowing red. Uh, the heat, the heat of the day is starting to, to, you know, dissipate and, and then magic, you know, was, um, truly one of the, the moments of my life. So, yeah.
1: Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. How can you interpret the signs from nature, from animals and plants, as guidance and wisdom and direction?
0: So we are story-making creatures, right? And when someone says that you are making a story, they mean it in a demeaning way, like you're making things up. But what what I've found in my work, you know, doing things like shamanic journeys and um, medicine work, as well as just um, active imagination where one does deep imagery right it takes a journey to go meet someone that they are summoning you know into their field to 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 have a conversation um, that we are not we're neither dreaming although you could say yeah let's see there, when we when we dream at night um, we can definitely access dreamlike states while conscious and awake um, the there's there's a certain interpretation of of these experiences as being we're making things up, or or when we see something happen that feels like uh, an omen or something that is more than just a coincidence, that it's easy for our reasoning minds to say, well, you're just making that up, or that feels, mm, yeah, you know what, dismiss it as just a coincidence, right? Um, or you're trying to assign meaning where there is none. Um, and I've received those critiques from people around me. And sometimes I've even leveled them at myself because I, I have doubted myself. Right. But when we call in it, the, when we are at, it, it, living in such a way that we are calling in um, a deeper relationship with everything around us, you start to kind of notice more and you, and it's not, it's not that those things are are just happening to you. I think that there is a dialogue that is happening non-verbally between us and the world that, that brings in experiences that can be magical. But we can't, we can't have those experiences unless we are open to them, right? Unless we are open to letting our minds go and, and being, uh, and resting in the, a certain level of trust about our imagination and about, our capacity to dream and our capacity to witness and to make meaning of our of our world right because we are meaning making creatures so um so when i see something happen and something as simple as like um, a wood fern waving in the wind right because the wood ferns tend to do this interesting thing they wave they wave when the wind moves and the first time i ever saw that as a child i remember thinking that fern's waving at me. That's so cool. It's waving at me, you know, and, and, and there is a sense of enchantment and wonder that, that put me in a place of, of feeling like, oh, that there's a conversation here and that, that it's not just, it's not just any fern doing its thing. You know, there was a sense of wonderment. And I think we lose that as we get older. And it's a, it's a state that we re-enter when we are, um, enchanted, re-enchanted, um, oftentimes with the help of these modalities that I think are now coming into popularity for the simple reason that we have lost contact with mystery and we need it. We hunger for it like we need food and water.
1: Yeah, and this, this awareness of nature that you're describing is is similar to like the awareness of the paranormal. The the more that we pay attention to it, the more it pays attention to us.
0: That's correct, yeah.
1: Have you ever had any experiences in your life that you would deem strange or unexplainable
0: yeah absolutely and the the, the one that really leaps to mind is um, I guess you could call it an out of body experience uh, that I had mm-hmm. ago when i was in utah um, camping nothing of any particular importance had really happened during this time i was traveling with friends we were going on hikes we were eating good food having a great time i'm sleeping in my van one night and um i i woke up in the middle of the night and had it just stretched you know as one does when they're moving around you know and 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 it, but but then it turned out that this was not just any stretch. I had I, I found myself continuing to stretch, and to the point that my body started to feel like it was even bigger than my body. And um, and then I had the sensation of almost some some mysterious hand opening me down the middle. And this was not a painful experience. I. I felt myself being open down the middle and, and uh, my body being split, but not split. I was not being split apart, right? I was being opened, and, um, and the stretch continued, stretch, stretch, stretch. And, uh, and, then, and then the sensation of, of, of seeing pretty much every cell in my body enter the cosmos and feeling as if I did not exist anymore. My body was gone. Yeah. So, so there is this sense of. It's really difficult to this day to describe this verbally, this experience, because it was so beyond. It transcends language. It's not something that I can just you know speak about. But the sense was that the felt sense was that I no longer existed, and yet here I was, and that I was part of everything, and that everything was part of me. And then that sensation lasted for. couple seconds seconds and then i was back in my body and then i was wondering what the hell just happened (laughs) so so um and this was not on any sort of medicine right i i had this experience and and i have i speak about it with so few people because i think that again like we were talking about this um this uh, i guess enlightenment thinking that 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 is so much a part of western civilization that Tries to rationalize everything as being um, like, well, if you can't put that in a box and and explain it with something that that is that can be proven, that can be tested, then then it didn't happen, right? Well, uh, yeah, so that was one of those experiences, right? So, yeah.
1: Wow, that's incredible.
0: And yeah, it's difficult to to speak of, and it's going to be difficult to write about. But you know, maybe someday I will sit down and write about it. So,
1: do you have any examples of how like? dreams have either stopped you, saved you, or guided you in a decision in life.
0: Yes. Um, I continue to turn to my dreams. Um, I have been working with my, uh, yeah, I've been w- working with my dreams for probably the last seven or eight years, you know, journaling about them. Um, Jungian depth psychology is um, particularly receptive to the dream as a source of wisdom. And and so I've read pretty extensively about dreams and their 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 power and their potential to to um, connect us deeper with our inner lives and and dreams as a particular way of actually speaking our psyche and our souls, if you could call it that. Our souls are that part of us that knows, um, speaking to us in a language that is ancient and that our ancestors. Um, and that the wisdom traditions of the world even, you know, write about in their texts as being like, this is the the mystery of the image of the dream image, right? Um, it's so powerful in guiding us in, into um, an awareness of what we need to be doing with our lives, how we want to live, what our deepest desires and yearnings are, um, and also in some ways what what we're doing to ourselves. Um because, because sometimes we make choices in our lives that take us down a certain path that is not us, and when and then we we wonder why we have nightmares, right? Or we wake up and go, oh, I had a dream that I was being chased by a tiger, and um, and and the language of a dream is so different than what our day world minds make out a dream to be, um, even a dream of being sexually violated, just deeply disturbing as it is. Um, is a dream that is not just about that particular thing. It's it's about violation at a larger level and the ways that we violate ourselves, for instance. So so my work with dreams, um, even though it's really been personal and it's something that I've maybe helped others with on on a um, on a level that's um, you know in my coaching and spiritual work with. With people, um, I've been able to help them use their dreams to a certain extent to to mine down into the depths of what is moving in their lives and how they might work with their dreams to better understand themselves. Um, for for my for my part, I I think you know when I'm struggling, it's always to my dreams that I turn to to better um, understand myself and um, the the things that might be moving in my psyche. That that because our egos are so strong and we we are afraid we are afraid to grow there are ways that we we are afraid to confront others and to and to speak our truth um when we do that the the things that we almost that we push down are almost like the beach ball that we like uh, that in, you know if you're in a swimming pool you push it down and that that beach ball just wants to continue to, to pop up right it's like um dreams are ways that 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 truth seems to want to surface again right and the psyche comes kind of knocking being like uh look at me this is this is important stuff you know and so um so when my clients maybe come to me with nightmares um and they say i had a really bad dream last night i start to kind of rub my hands a little bit and i think uh, okay uh mind sharing it let's work on it together because there might be something really useful in that so um yeah so that's dreams for you there's so much i could talk about with regards to dreams. so um, they are their own language and it's not a language that we are taught because we because again we live in this rationalistic world view that that really diminishes uh, the power of the the image and the symbol and the mystery of a dream that is that pretty much is like by its very being is inexplicable but also has a message and to decode it we have to actually um, access a part of ourselves that is non-rational that yeah, that is is, is about play, playing with our, our our sense of symbol and um, and I'm not articulating this well because I don't speak about this very often, but but it's a different language entirely. yeah.
1: You obviously offer a lot of guidance, a lot of video coaching, you know on the phone coaching. A lot of what you help people with is overcoming trauma, right?
0: That's right. And in particular, trauma of the kind that is um, that that we cannot run from because we because life itself becomes a way of uh, like the things that happen to us are the things that that we need to fully enter in order to heal. (laughs) If that makes any sense. So so life itself is traumatic, right? And um so trauma is in the zeitgeist everyone's talking about it trauma 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 and um and i think the fact is is everyone has trauma right just by having lived and gone through childhood (laughs) um and then there is the trauma of living in these times when there is so much happening um, in our culture um and in the ways that we treat each other that um, that can be deeply wounding and um my interest is in helping people cultivate the competencies and the skills to be able to navigate everything that life hands us, um, whether that's in the present or it's something that we're trying to heal from our past in order to fully show up as ourselves in this moment. Um, And yeah, I do it using um, a video coaching tool called Marco Polo. And um, it's really transformed my life because there's something about recording a video text, um, because it's like texting, but you're sending videos to that person. And you see yourself talking and it's a monologue, right? Cause you're recording yourself talking. Um, and, and when, when, when you know that, 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 that message is going to be received by someone who sees you and, um, and, and a, and a conversation starts to build over time. Um, what I've discovered is that usually after about 30 days, there's something that happens. Um, and it's so interesting. The, the person almost like their countenance and their energy and even the, the muscles in their face, they, they relax and they start to shift. And, and I don't think I can take credit for this. This is something that has to do with the platform and and the, and the self-witnessing that happens when you watch yourself and when you confront yourself in the mirror, so to speak, and you are recording yourself speaking and you, you are speaking your truth. Um, in the presence of someone that you trust, right? And hopefully that person is me, you know, if they're working with me and they trust me, right? But but, um, but that I, I rely on that platform to do my coaching for that reason of like um, the self-witness that we all need. We, we need to confront ourselves, right? And in the mirror, look in the mirror and actually see the truth of who we are, which is beautiful. I mean, we all carry a lot of muck, right? Things happen to us that are so wounding. Um, and, and there is so much pain and suffering. And, um, I think I, I do draw in people who are oftentimes in excruciating amounts of pain, um, and, and really need help that sometimes conventional therapy can't give because, because therapists, um, because of a certain professional wall that, that, that is necessary for them to be able to work prof- to work at, at a level that, you know, supports the client and gives them what they need sometimes they don't, they hold something of themselves back from the process. So, um, so yeah, I do coach people, but I do it different th- differently than therapy because it's, um, it, it's personal and, and I don't hold back parts of myself in order to connect with the person. There's a sharing of stories. And when, when we share our stories in a safe space and we do it the way maybe our ancestors did it sitting by the fire at night, um, there is safety and then healing can then start to happen. So
1: for those of you listening, Hannah certainly doesn't keep anything. I mean, she bears it all. I mean, it's very evident in your work on your Instagram page, you know, but all that risk and rawness, you know, taught you a lot. And I think a lot of people can uh, find comfort in that. And, And like you said, healing, right. But let me ask you this, what is healing and what isn't healing?
0: great 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 question justin and thank you so much for your kind words about about me and about how i show up in the world and uh and i i I do try not to hold anything back because because healing part of healing is is rejecting no part of yourself right we we tend to hide those parts of us that are um shameful to us, right? That we are like, ooh, uh, I did this thing that I d- didn't feel so great about, you know? Um, and there are many things that I did in my past um, that I still, to this day, carry shame about. But that in speaking, speaking it out, I, I'm able to heal it. And I'm able to also um, connect with others at a level that is deeper because they then can see that I am too because we all are <laughs> excuse me <laughs> uh, but yeah that i'm messed up too right they can see that i'm messed up too and and that um we all are just by walking through this life together um bumping into things you know getting hurt right and and also doing things to one another and showing up in ways that we're less than proud of i think healing is when we are truly healing we are um not necessarily getting better um I think in clinical terminology, we tend to speak of healing as like, oh, this wound, you know, it's 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 uh, healing over. The skin cells are rejuvenating themselves, that we're getting better somehow. But that's not how I think of healing. To heal is not necessarily to make better, because we do sometimes um, get hurt again or do things that we regret and that we feel shame about. But is there a way that we can um, leave out no parts of ourselves, right, from the conversation about about what is happening, and can we feel safe enough? Can we give ourselves safety with others whom we trust to reveal all our parts, right? And and to hold them all as being part of us, um, including the parts that we are um, that we don't feel so great about. Yeah, and 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 in that there is such beauty because because the the empowered parts, the the beautiful aspects of us. Um, we can witness them too when we love one another, and where love exists, um, there is a full embrace of, of of the whole person. It's not just I'm choosing this part of you to love because because this is the part that I adore, and you maybe you you listen to me, you cook for me, um, yeah, we have a great physical relationship or something, right? But but beyond that, is there an embrace of the the aspects the, the 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 dirty parts right the gritty parts that that we struggle with that that will will not cause us to say we I'm, this is a part of you that i reject and so therefore i'm not going to be in a relationship with you and and so many of us so many of us in our society make that choice to exit a relationship because because we cannot tolerate someone's shadow and i think that we part of healing is also being able to confront our own shadows so that we can then develop a certain level of patience with the shadows that others are bringing into our lives. And to the extent that we can heal ourselves, then we can, we can love another, right? And we can love their uh, messy parts. So, so that's what healing is. I think it's really leaving out no parts, right? And, and loving all aspects of ourselves without condition.
1: So tell me a little bit about primal school.
0: Yeah, Primal School is a um, is a is actually a blog um, that started off in 2016. I I started interviewing poets about one poem they had written and asking them about their process. And these were beautiful conversations that I um, that I, I was mostly having for selfish reasons that I was a poet in practice and wanting to learn the art and craft of writing a poem. And and so I it was partly for my personal education, but also in order to share it with people who are not um, taking that traditional track of, of going to get a master's degree in, in, in creative writing. So so I did that for a time, and then my marriage blew up, and then I went out into the desert um, and had my adventure. And during that time, I, I started to re-envision primal school as something that would be different, that would be about accessing and loving ourselves and Getting to know ourselves better by um, by creating a relationship um, between ourselves and the wild world that is within us, um, that is within our souls, but also in the world, right? And and through means that are primal, because we we are bodily creatures that need um, to be in nature, to be connected with the wild, and um, and I think that I'm still in the process of creating something with it that that is meaningful for me and that feels like um, an effective offering to to those who need it. But but currently it's it's really just a website and a coaching and mentoring offering that I um, that I'm actually about to launch um, in the next couple of weeks here um, and put it out to my, primarily my Instagram community, you know, asking people if they want to work with me. And, um, because I think that's so much of my passion is working with people individually. So, uh, and bringing these tools that you and I have discussed in this interview, um, to, to an audience of people who are hungering for this particular form of medicine. So
1: you have this, I mean, what you call your, the video coaching part of it is you call it 90 days to real freedom, right?
0: It's called 90 days to real freedom. And it's, um, it's it's something that I offered, what three years ago? It was three years ago that I offered it once on Instagram, and um, and got to work with some amazing people, and and I I'm excited to do it again because I think very few things gratify me more than working with people individually and, and seeing the transformation that they undergo when they um, are able to love themselves um, and and give themselves that. That witness again, right? Of of hearing hearing one story told aloud and having that be received, um, and doing that over a course of ninety days is actually. I mean, I've thought about this uh, extending it to something longer because. Uh, the feedback that I've gotten from people is that it's only after the 90 days that they realize that they're just getting warmed up. <laughs> so, so yeah, the the process of personal transformation is actually lifelong. We all know that. And but but the but the depth of learning that can happen in 90 days is pretty profound. So I'm looking forward to offering it again. It, it should be fun.
1: How can people get in touch with you? What's the easiest way? Your Instagram?
0: Yeah, um, great. It's primalschool.org is my website, and on Instagram I'm on there as Hannah Written, so it's my first name, same forwards and backwards. And then written, so kind of similar to handwritten, but it's my name. And I'm on Facebook as well under the same handle, Hannah Written. Um, but the page is primal school. So
1: primalschool.org. And we'll have links in the show notes to that and your Instagram account and your Facebook account as well. You have your poetry book, When I Was the Wind. And that was published not too long ago by June Road Press. How did that project come to be?
0: Oh man, that's a that's an amazing story. That I, I wish Sarah Arnold, my my publisher, um, and it really is a one woman operation based out of Berwyn, Pennsylvania. That um, is a beautiful, beautiful press, um, small indie boutique thing that she started up. And um, the book, <laughs> the evolution of the book, is really incredible because I. I had decided quite a while ago that I, um, I I was gonna write poems and do it in my own funky way, which was posting everything to social media. Um, and I guess Sarah was quietly watching my posts because um, she she never really engaged with with any of my content. But she had been following me on Instagram because we used to be part of a writing group together um, some years ago. And And then she pops up in an email one day while I'm camping in New Mexico during the pandemic. Um, And, and I, I remembered Sarah, I was, I was very excited to hear from her. And she, um, she, she wrote me saying, Hey, I've been noticing that you are um, posting all of these incredible stories to your Instagram. And I wonder if you'd be interested in um, doing a memoir because I have started a little publishing um, outfit and, um, it would be amazing to work with you, and I and I remember thinking, gosh, this is crazy because I had just been thinking about approaching publishers or and weighing that against um, the possibility of even self-publishing um, a book of poems. And so, so our conversation was about a memoir initially, and then we decided to warm up with a book of poems. And and this book of poems, I I, I think. I I never would have dreamed that it would go out into the world and, and do what it did, but but I think that I really have to give Sarah a lot of credit for being such a devoted, um, hardworking publisher who really believes in her authors, and she um, she brings an artisan uh, mindset to every book that she publishes, and she's now I think on her sixth oh gosh there are two books coming out this fall uh, by both by incredible authors and. Um, She's on a roll, and I, I really just am so so proud of her. But um, I, I think I'm one of the few lucky authors in the world who um, can say that that I have a publisher who whom I deeply care about, and um, who cares about me, and who cares deeply about books as a living um, work of art. Because her books are gorgeous, and um, and I, I do take credit for my work, and you know the awards that that have come to the book are. Tremendous honor, but I, I do believe so much of it is has been this collaboration that I have with my publisher. So, <laughs> so it really is an amazing story, and it's also it's a story of trust too, because I didn't really go out there and become a writer, um, you know, especially these last few years, like writing the way I was writing um, with the intent of publishing a book, but um, but but the book found me, and there was something there's something in that that I think is really beautiful, and that I'm profoundly grateful for
1: where can people get a copy of the book obviously your website primalschool.org, is the easiest way right
0: there's a link to my publisher's website that goes from my website um, and then the, the publisher is june road press if you google june road press sorry that i don't have the the last three on that but
1: it's juneroadpress.com
0: .com okay so yeah that would be i would recommend people go by buy directly from her because um, yeah, and she puts a lot of care into even the envelope that arrives in the mail. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if,
1: you, and if you are having difficulties, it's available on Amazon, too, for those of you around the world who are mm-hmm. listening to this. But juneroadpress.com is where you can get it direct from the publisher. And that's where I got it from, too. And it, I'm glad that I did because there's a, a personal handwritten uh, surprise in there. Uh, which was really cool i don't know if, if she's still doing that but
0: uh hmm. you might be speaking about the the little note that it was by me right yeah yeah, yep. yeah.
1: Uh huh. i didn't want to give it away <laughs> yeah <laughs> there it is
0: yeah i think it was the first 100 copies that sell um we might be past that point i i really haven't checked with her on the the sales but but yeah it that, that's really neat that that she was doing that and, and um, she just asked me to write a bunch of notes to to slip into the books and and so I did that for her and um, she's obsessed with my handwriting, which is really cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, your, your handwriting is it, it, that's a lost art in itself, you know I mean, you send me postcards every so often and I get them and I keep them because they're just so beautifully written, not just from a, from a, um, a, a writing standpoint, but from a visual. Standpoint too. I mean, your your handwriting is just amazing. And I just wish more people in the world would just write letters. You know, I I send out greeting cards, you know, at the end of the year, um, holiday greeting cards, and um, I probably get maybe one, two in response (laughs) to like 50 that I sent out in the mail, but. I'm trying to bring it back. The lost art of handwritten notes.
0: Yes. It's something that is, has profound meaning, um, in this day and age. And, and I do so enjoy our correspondence because, um, yeah, it, it's funny because that we're talking about this. Um, the other day I was going through some old mail and I, I came across the Christmas card that you sent me. One oh two. yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I reread the note and I thought, Oh gosh, this is so beautiful. And, and to, um, and to know that someone went to that effort of you know putting pen to paper and you know sealing the envelope and putting the stamp on the envelope and and then going to the mailbox there's there's um a profound amount of care and meaning, yeah, that um, that is lost in the texting and emailing that that everyone is so used to and um i really cherish our correspondence and thanks for your kind words yeah the handwriting is really <laughs> I, I i i say it's my dad he he was a calligrapher is a calligrapher and um uh and it's funny because i didn't grow up with him but uh sometimes yeah the apple doesn't fall far does it <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great and we spoke about this a, a while back you were working on a new book
0: yeah and i am on um yeah, I'm on the fifteenth poem out of eighty-one sections of the Tao. So anyone who's read the Tao Te Ching knows that it's uh, it's written in eighty-one sections by Lao Tzu, who you know had, was a Taoist and had these profound insights on life and living. And and these teachings, um, when you read any translation that has been written so far of the Tao, and there are many, there are hundreds out there, right? Um, you get the sense that they're, they're aphorisms, they're teachings, right? But they're not actually, hmm. uh, what was, I knew that there was something lacking the first time I read the Tao, you know, in terms of um, my experience of like how, the question I, I, I asked myself was how do I internalize this? How, how can I make this meaningful for me? Cause these teachings are powerful, but, but what I realized after, Reflecting a little bit was that what was missing from the my my experience of the teachings was a certain measure of I, I wouldn't say the word is beauty, but but there's a way that 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 reading something aloud, for instance, can help you internalize its message, right? And and I thought, well, as a poet, what if I brought a little bit of of my own sense of beauty to these these writings about the Tao? And so I started to experiment with that and discovered, wow, what if I poemized these teachings, but then furthermore, I turned them into prayers um, where I could pray to what I believe to be, um, yeah, the Tao, which is indistinguishable from God, right? And to the Taoists, uh, the Tao is the ultimate, it's, it's, it's God. And, um, and if I'm praying to the Tao, then what would that sound like? And so I sat down and started to play with that and really had started to have some fun with it. And then I kept going. And now it's turned into this wonderful project that um, that I've been sharing online, actually on my Instagram account. So so uh, people can read what I've been up to um, periodically when I post from the DAO there. But uh, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm on number 15 out of 81. So I've got a ways to go. Maybe by the end of this year, uh, I will... Be somewhere with it but <laughs> yeah
1: would i be able to share one of my favorite poems from your book
0: oh wow what a what an honor yeah for sure and and what a what a lovely surprise yeah since we had <laughs> <laughs> hadn't told me um yeah so sure i i, I would love if to you're hear okay with it. It. i would love to hear you read one of my poems yes i'm, I'm very okay with it
1: well i like this particular passage called exile because this speaks directly to your experiences in Moab, Utah. And uh, this one, yeah, it's called Exile. So it starts, I have chosen and not chosen this place. It loves me and is branded to me. This sand in my eye, this wind, which speaks to me only when I've lost my way. These rains that come to batter without satisfying my thirst. Each day of visitation, The long nights of animal sleep spooling out to leave, their footprints at the door like departed guests. I push onward without you. Some days the storms throw things at me. Some days I am the storm. Some nights I am the moth, who thrashes around the room, painting pieces of herself onto the globe of the lamp. We know that even stones can be borne aloft on the wind, to have the ground rise up, to meet them in answer. Tell me there's a place where the past can gather. Imagine me happy. So that's, uh, that's my favorite entry in there.
0: Justin, your, your delivery is, is beautiful. And thank you so much for your reading of my poem.
1: What I like about poetry is people interpret it in different ways, right? People read it in different ways. And that's the beauty of the art form. That's why I don't like to read my poetry out loud. I don't like to read it out loud. I want people to read it and interpret it the way that they want to. Because for you, you wrote it with a particular message in mind. But for someone else who doesn't know that, it could have a more profound meaning or a deeper meaning or a totally different meaning, and it just takes on like this. Dynamic life of its own, and it just grows from there. It's just that's what makes poetry work, I, I think.
0: Truly, yeah. There's just such a, a subjectivity and a unique vocabulary of of emotion that we bring to a poem in the in the hearing of it, um, and it, it really is is a tremendous thing to be on the other side of of this process, where you know I'm listening to you read something that I wrote, and even in the reading of it, the delivery of it to 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 hear a different, uh, tonality and, and, in that to receive a different experience of even my own ideas, right. That gave rise to the poem. Um, cause the, there's a way that we wear our work, right. And that it, it's like a garment that when you put it on somebody else, it just brings out a different, a different aspect, something, something you, you, you see, you see your, your, uh, work in a different light and, um, you just gave me a profound gift by by sharing that. Thank you so much. And and I'm in mind of the fact that you were one of the the people I turned to when I was uh, thinking about turning some of these poems into videos that I was gonna then post to Instagram. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, you were a tremendous help in in getting me um, from I, the idea phase to to actual um, video. You know that I that I then shared in YouTube a lot of response. People really enjoyed um, the videos that I shared and, and exile was one of the first poems that I posted. Um, And yeah, I have to give you credit for, for helping me to manifest those videos because your advice was really helpful. (laughs) So how to, how to get those um, into a a different format that, that really brings a poem alive, you know, Um, especially on social media.
1: The subject matter that the audience heard tonight is a little bit different from the, the other subject matter that I tend to cover more commonly. But the reason why I wanted to bring you on here is because, you know, I've I've always admired your curiosity, your tenacity, and most important, your daring ferocity to bear your heart and your soul to the world, not just through Instagram, but through your writings, through your conversations, through your thinking, to strangers, to me, and now to us. And what I find particularly important about your work is you help others see things from another perspective. You help them to hear their own stories and to better understand them, to learn that they are the storytellers themselves and they're telling the stories of their lives. And I hope that you can continue to share that with other people. You can help other people in your mission, in your journey. And I look forward to, to many more stories from you on this program and beyond. So thank you for... Uh, taking the time to come on the show
0: thank you so very much justin for having me and and for the work that you do you know bringing in so many different perspectives about about this theme of, of our, our place in the world and our interactions with it right um i think that that your openness and your profound intelligence which i I really have to say that after um, speaking with you today on this interview, I get to see a different side of you too. That's an incredibly skilled, professional, polished side that I deeply admire. So thank you so much. It's a huge honor to, to talk today. And uh, and yeah, we will have more conversations. <laughs> so,
1: I look forward to them. You have been listening to Terror Signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by Normal Paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrasignals.com.